0: Hello, Masterplan world. Welcome to our latest podcast. It's a pleasure, as always, to have you out there listening. I'm Chloe Thomas. I'm the creator of the e-commerce master plan, author, speaker and consultant, and I focus on e-commerce business strategy and marketing. We're now in April, which means at ecommercemasterplan.com, we're moving into the second stage of our 2016 focus on the customer. Last quarter, we looked at how to attract customers' attention and create conversations that build trust, looking at pop-ups, email sign-ups, driving traffic, and much more. For the next three months, you can expect to see lots of content about how to get that first order, turning your inquirers into buyers. Find out about everything we put live last quarter and everything that's coming up at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash the customer. Now that's plenty enough of what I'm up to. Let me introduce you to today's special guest. Tanya Heath is the creator behind Tanya Heath Paris, a bricks and clicks business designing and selling the world's first adjustable height shoe with removable heels. Uh, Ladies, please stick with the podcast and don't immediately run off to find out all about that and what it looks like you can do that afterwards. Um, after four years of designing, the product went live in 2013 and they have now sold over 12,000 pairs of shoes and 28,000 pairs of heels. Hi, Tanya. Hello. I've just given our listeners a very quick overview of you and your business and where you are now. So how did you get started off in e-commerce?
1: Well, it was very natural for us. So we started in e-commerce. Well, the first, the first iteration of our, our e existence was actually a, a website which described what we did, but didn't sell anything. However, at that time, luxury businesses were reluctant to enter e-commerce. So at that time, you had Net-A-Porter, but if you looked at Céline, Vuitton, Yves Saint etc., you know, different French companies, they weren't selling online. From our perspective, that seemed ridiculous for several reasons. One as a new brand, we didn't have access to, you know, multi-brand stores or French department stores. So we had to find a way of getting our product out there. Number two, we didn't have a whole lot invested in bricks and mortar points of sales. So from our perspective, we weren't getting into any notion of channel conflict or eroding any previous investment by, by starting to sell online. And then at the end of the day, you know, we're a modern technological company and it seemed to be, you know, completely hypocritical to say we wouldn't sell online. So since we had absolutely nothing to lose, everything to gain, it, it was a natural conclusion for us.
0: I think it, you mentioned about the, the other luxury brands and how reticent they are to get online. I quite often bump into some of them when I'm out and about at events and the, the continuing how do we do it online it's a, it's a real fear factor for the you know the established long-term established luxury business because they built such such um, such a presence and such a feeling they really struggle on how to do that online so i th- i think it's interesting when you come into the space fresh it's the obvious way to go and it gives you a level above them because you don't have that fear factor would would be my impression of the area
1: i i think so i think from a luxury you know a, a handbag so if you're paying for, and I won't name names, but if you're paying for what's essentially a plastic handbag that's selling, and I'll, I'll speak in pounds or in euros, you know, selling for about 2,000 euros, 2,000 pounds, um, you know, they're spending a lot of money somewhere else that's not necessarily on the product. And a lot of that spend is on the stores to give you the full luxury experience. So I, I can understand their their unease. And then the other thing, which I think they're very... They're, they're terrified of is having their designs copied because a lot of their products have low barriers to entry. So it, it's easy to knock off that handbag. And now the counterfeiters have become excellent. So I'll see counterfeit Helmets, um I, I, I won't say who's wearing it, but I, <laughs> I, I, I literally cannot tell the difference. I
0: literally. suppose I hadn't thought of that. Of course, if you're but taking good, high quality product shots from every angle, as you would do to sell that handbag online, then it's it's a gift to the guys, you know, who are making the counterfeits because they can just download the photos you've given them and produce oh. the perfect item.
1: For sure, uh, three or four years ago, if you would go to any fashion show at night, you would see people with tripods in front of store magazines taking taking photos of product from as you say from all angles. And this is an important aspect of counterfeiting. So I think that I, I think there was a reluctance to put product online due to that. And then there's obviously channel conflict.
0: Yeah, and what where it's selling for this price here and this price there. And the and I know there's quite a lot of different pricing in different international markets happens, which of course, if you've got the clarity of an e commerce store, you can't do that, can you? Well, and then the, 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 the sad reality is you have to.
1: So if you talk to people in the luxury business, they'll tell you that their handbag sells for the same price in Paris, London, Tokyo, Singapore, Hong Kong. It's just not true. It, it's not true. If that were true, people wouldn't be traveling to France to buy cheaper handbags so <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly <laughs>
1: right so so at the end of the day it's not true regardless of what people say and i guess there was that fear that that sort of noble lie would be demasked by the internet so i agree with you
0: cool well um, i very much enjoyed that discussion about retail. but we really should be talking about your business and not everybody mm-hmm. else's so so you're based in paris and where where are you selling to globally Okay,
1: well, we have – so we started selling in Paris in 2013. We already have stores in Polto and Lisbon in Portugal, in Toronto in Canada, in Los Angeles in the U.S., and we're opening in the next few weeks A new store in Lausanne, Switzerland, and this sounds kind of funny, we'll be opening a store in May in Luanda, Angola, which I'm very excited about, so our first store in Africa, and we'll be opening two shop-in-shops in in Rome, Italy in April. So those are our physical points of sale. Um, And then from an internet perspective, we have the corporate site, which, you you know, if, if we wanted to talk about dissatisfaction, which is selling globally. So we can take an order from Timbuktu and make sure that it arrives. Um, That site is currently being redone. But there's also different regional sites which
0: will gradually come under
1: the Tanya Heath umbrella.
0: Okay, so that's then that's for the consumer sales. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Cool.
1: In terms of boutique sales, we don't sell that way because our offer is so disruptive from a shoe store's perspective, you know, you need to have heel walls and you're selling a lot of references that your average shoe store isn't accustomed to dealing with, that we actually prefer to have branded Tanya Heath points of sales.
0: So do you have any physical retail presence that's not your own stores? Are you in any department stores or anything?
1: We're not in any department stores. We have done a pop-up store at Galerie Lafayette Houseman, which was very successful and I would certainly be willing now to do either a pop-up store again with a different department store or to open up a shop and shop or a corner I don't know what you would call this in the UK but I would be willing to open up a little Tanya Heath boutique within it within a department store
0: I think probably all the words you use make sense in the in the UK We might also use the word concession
1: but, okay
0: but very much a branded managed with it, it by your people
1: not just branded but i would have to be able to uh, you know to control the sales team because our shoe needs some explanation in fact buying our shoe is less like buying a shoe and more like buying a cosmetic product you know the saleswoman has to explain to you how it works and show you how to click the heel and show you how to remove the heel so it's
0: quite an involved process so that brings us on nicely to the product because we said in the intro that you've sold twelve thousand pairs of shoes and twenty eight thousand pairs of heels, mm-hmm. which means you're selling at least two pairs of heels for every shoe. So what's yep. what's the what does the customer usually kind of buy into with the product? What's their first tends to be about their first purchase.
1: The first purchase, in in fact, if you ask me, what my real business is, <laughs> my real business is I sell black pumps. So the first purchase is a very nice pair of black pumps. What's crazy is the second purchase is also often another pair of black pumps, uh, but with a different style. And then only with the third purchase do you start getting into a sandal or a low boot or a high boot. Uh, So, yeah, we sell a lot of pumps. Um, Our more adventurous clients will order, you know, a red pump. but, (laughs) (laughs) But we sell a lot of pumps. And then what they love doing is they love accessorizing their pump with different heels. So, in Paris, in the Paris store, for example, we'll often sell one pump and eight pairs of heels. It's wow. a machine. My record so far is one woman who bought forty seven pairs of heels.
0: Oh my word, all because they have all the different colors and all the different heights.
1: All the different colors, heights, styles, different utilizations, and she just went wild.: Oh my word, all for
0: just one pair of pumps.
1: yeah. Yeah. And then what's really cool about it is you'll get people coming in, you know, one or two weeks later and they'll have this dress or this outfit and they'll want a pair of heels that match it. Or you get, we get the coolest orders where people will, will order online and they'll just order a pair of shoes. And then we'll have to look in our databases to make sure that they have heels.
0: So the, concept's <laughs> really, the concept's really taking off. Oh, excellent. So um, just out of interest, you know, what's the average price of a pair of heels? What's the average price of a pair of shoes?
1: So heels start from 20, I'm, I'm talking in euros here. That's fine. So 25 euros to 100 euros. But for 100 euros, you pretty much designed it yourself with our heel creator. And it's got some massive studding going on. We don't offer those online. So that's an in-store experience. Mm-hmm. And our shoes start at 300 euros and it goes to 700 euros. And I should say that all of those shoes are made in France we use only very high quality, you know, French and Italian leathers. There's no death marched cows, and we've begun to venture into veganism. So that's, I'm not a vegan myself. I wouldn't want to preach, but I can certainly understand people who have an aversion to leather. So that will be a a growing product category for us.
0: Well, and it's a massive consumer trend at the moment as well, isn't it? So it's... It, it's
1: something that I applaud. I didn't do it initially because I wasn't sure we could make it beautiful.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But the vegan shoes that have just arrived are stunning.
0: So are you using a fake leather on those or are you doing it with silk or something else?
1: No, I haven't found a fake leather that satisfies me. Yeah. So we're doing it with velvet. And the reason oh. I'm comfortable is if you look at fall sixteen seventeen, velvet will be a massive trend.
0: Ah, so you're managing to combine two trends to solve... A problem which is an attractive pair of vegan shoes yeah yeah if if the reason
1: it took me so long to offer that first pair of vegan shoes is I couldn't make it look beautiful and I couldn't make it look in French you would say I, in English I'm looking for the word I couldn't make it look luxuriant or appealing yeah, yeah. or enticing now we can
0: it wouldn't have, st- have stood up next to your other shoes basically
1: Right. And I don't think, you know, I don't think that vegans, just because they have, you know, maybe a tighter notion of morality, I don't think they should look like hobbits.
0: <laughs> I agree. I agree. Your morality should affect what you're able, you know, how you're able to present yourself. Exactly. Okay. So uh, what's the platform you're selling on? Are you using a Shopify, a Magento, or have you got a bespoke site going on?
1: So at the moment, we're using Drupal. Um, and now we can come into my advice for everybody else in the world. So number one, do not use Drupal. <laughs> number two, I see zero interest in custom developing your site. Um, and we are in the process. So it was initiated a month ago of going towards Magento.
0: Cool. And I totally agree with both those points. Um, I did. I, I almost laughed when you said Drupal. I thought, no, no be polite because there may be a good reason for it. Won't no, be, but there won't be, there might <laughs> be.
1: The good reason for it is, is that a lot of my friends are hardcore techies Mm -hmm. and they work with highly transactional trading sites that, you know, that have requirements that my site doesn't, doesn't have at all. And they simply gave bad advice. And you can quote me on that. I hope they're listening.
0: But but, based on the right on their knowledge, at least, they weren't trying to give you bad advice, I suspect. No, they're still friends. <laughs> Good. So um, what led you to choose Magento? Were there any particular reasons you went for that, rather anything else? Well, it's business
1: considerations. So as I mentioned, we do have some regional websites, which I'm more or less happy with, but mostly less. Um, and now we're entering a brand building stage. In the company. So I'm harnessing everything under TanyaHeath.com. However, I have to let my regional partners have a certain amount of autonomy. So for example, um, we have a point of sale. Oh, sorry, I forgot to mention we have a shop shop in Chile. Uh, They're in summer when everybody else is in winter, for example. So it would be inappropriate that a Chilean customer arrive on a beautiful boot it would be better for them to arrive upon a a sandal. So we have to let people manage content and visuals in a way that's coherent with their local conditions. We have to let them be able to present their stock, once again, that's coherent as per their local conditions. So we had to find a way of having one corporate umbrella to give our customers a unified Tanya Heath Paris experience but to give our regional activities the ability to do what makes sense within their region. So that was the first consideration and then it has a lot to do with other applications that we're using. We want better tie-in and we want to get rid of them mostly and then finally if you asked me before I'd asked my friends for advice, my way of saying things is it's better not to reinvent the wheel and it's better to go with something that, you know, mostly everybody else is is using because I don't think at the end of the day that my considerations will be so breathtaking.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, you couldn't have put it better than I try sometimes to put it myself. <laughs> I thoroughly agree with you. Um, um so, uh, Are there any particular widgets or plugins you're going to be putting into that Magento site or is it a bit early to be exploring those areas? We're
1: still at um, the
0: definition stage. So now we're at the
1: stage where we're working very closely with our web agency. I follow that. So I follow that on a daily basis and I haven't seen anything yet.
0: Yeah, it's often as you get further through the process, either there's something blindingly obvious at the beginning you need to plug in or it's as you get close to live to solve a problem or it's you know three months six months in you found an issue and it becomes a good way a good way to solve it so so Tanya how's you've obviously you've got the web guys outsourced what's the rest of your team looking like how many of you are there
1: well, we do have an internal web person. So she's the interface with the web agency team. Mm-hmm. And she's, you know, oh, we were asking why I was moving from Drupal. Partly it was pity for her. You know, I thought <laughs> <laughs> I, I just had to look at her and her life was pure misery. So, so, so that yeah. was only part of my reasoning. The rest of the team are all designers. Um, so everybody has a double uh, back, uh, educational background. They have a design background and they have a business background uh, because I myself have a bit of a business background and I go insane if I can't have a a, a sort of a conversation that I can understand. So that's necessary (laughs) for my sanity, the business Mm -hmm. side. And then the design side is necessary for everything we do, absolutely everything we do, whether it be photo design, web design, product design, or just giving clients advice on what they look better in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. And do you have any marketing people on the team? No. No, we don't because at the moment we don't yet
1: have a marketing budget and we don't engage in any marketing.
0: Wow. So so how do you so is is the the way you get generate the sales then is that all about the physical presence of the stores? It's all about blind luck. <laughs> uh,
1: so we we opened up the first shop in Paris. Nobody had ever heard of us because we're in Paris. You can get a few curious people who come into the store and then they'll write an article about you. Um, You can have viral effects. So, for example, last year we were chosen by the Huffington Post as one of the six best shoe brands in the world. That went insane. I think that article was shared eight million times (gasps) or... Just recently, we were chosen by a website called, or, or, or yeah, by, by something called Brightside as one of the best inventions of 2015. Once again, a massive viral effect. So, this has nothing to do with me. So, I have no lessons to give to anyone. I think it's just in recognition of the fact that we truly have an amazing product.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think the lesson is to come up with a great product, <laughs> believe in it. And put the effort and energy behind it to get it out there and in front of people. I would suggest
1: that's what we did. I don't know if there's a (laughs) how reproducible that is, but that's certainly that's what we're relying on at the moment. I have a newsletter sign up where we have about six thousand people signed up for our newsletter, and in that signing up process, I can get insights into how they heard about us and where they're coming from. Quite honestly, it's astonishing. I would say 90% of those people are coming from Facebook. So I know we're talking about Snapchat and Instagram and and in certain geographies, WeChat. But Facebook is huge for us. And then the other 10%, it's word of mouth. It's, oh, I was in a party. Somebody took their shoes off and was showing us how cool your heels are.
0: Yeah and that's you know when you've got a product like that you really want your customers to be showing it to other people because then you get someone coming into the shop or coming onto the website who goes I know I know how it works give me it.
1: Yeah. Yeah well that that's crazy. So clearly people are looking at the website because when they come into the store we're not on a very busy street in Paris. So most people I'd say for every 5 people coming into the store two to three are coming in because they've looked for us and they'll come in and they'll name the shoe and the heel by name. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm stunned. And sometimes you'll get groupies. So sometimes people will come into the store just to Instagram me.
0: <laughs> so there's definitely some, some good marketing going on there, even if it's all by accident. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, it is. It's sort of like uh, free marketing, or I guess, or digital marketing.
0: Yeah. So, so Tanya, what do you think is the most awesome thing about your business right now?
1: Um, from a personal perspective, what I love is I get to be a touche à tout. So in English, that would be, you know, somebody who gets to do different things. One day I can be selling, the next day I can be designing, I can go to a factory, I can go to a store opening, um, I can talk to great people in the press, I can read the press. I like the diversity of my role. And then in terms of a business perspective, I'd say the most exciting thing is really the the, the upcoming store openings. I'm thrilled about that. I'm in love with our winter collection. So we have we have shoes that regardless of whose brand they are, I would really be looking forward to wearing them. Mm-hmm. And I think within a year, I'll go back to research and development. I don't want to talk too much about it, but right. I am excited to start R&D again on a new product line.
0: Ooh, exciting. We look forward to hearing about that one once you've got it ready. Um, so... So there's quite a lot on the to-do list at the moment. If I don't
1: have a lot, yeah, I get bored.
0: (laughs) Okay, cool. Well, I think we're going to drop now into the top tips round. And um, I love this section because it gives me and our listeners some really quick ideas for taking our businesses to the next level. Um, Tanya, are you good to go into the top tips? Mm Mm-hmm. Excellent. So first up, the book top tip. If everyone listening to this podcast agreed to take Friday off and read a book to make their business better, which book would you recommend?
1: Okay, so my answer is going to be very disappointing. I don't believe in that magic bullet. So I'm going to tell you the book that has been the pivotal business book for my life And it's The Innovator's Dilemma by Clayton M. Christensen. And I'm not citing some sort of obscure book. Obviously, many people have read this book. But since I'm dealing with disruptive technology for the past 15 years of my career, this book has helped me more than anything. And it's practically the Bible of Tanya heath Paris. So if I was to give a generalist book for everybody, I fear that today... One of the greatest traps that we've collectively fallen into is, I would say, superficiality. And if I look at business books over the past five years, certainly, I I don't find them that weighty. So the book that I'm going to be giving all three of my children when they turn 18, it's not a business book. It's called The Story of Philosophy by Will Durand. And the reason I would advocate this is that it touches every single thinker, many of them economists, and it gives you a very holistic, insightful way into being connected to yourself, your values, and how you would interact in a business environment. And I think it's got an enormous depth and an enormous coverage. And it's something which allows you decide who you are which translates into your business day because it helps you avoid make mistakes.
0: Wow there's there's two pretty amazing recommendations and I love the fact that I can hear and hope everyone else can you holding the books as you're telling us about them.
1: The the story of philosophy sort of every time I get drunk at a party I end up giving away a copy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm now holding I guess it's my 18th copy I'm embarrassed to say that every time I reread it, it's like I'm reading
0: it for the first
1: time. (laughs) So clearly I'm forgetting a lot. Um, But yes, this book, I practically sleep with it.
0: Excellent. Uh, So the, the, the traffic top tip then, which marketing method do you either prize above all others or think doesn't get the press it deserves? Is there one, I guess?
1: Well, once again, you're speaking to somebody who doesn't have a marketing budget. So what we what has been the most effective for us has been our customer services. So we don't necessarily think of this as marketing. However, my clients, if they have a problem for one day, they won't have a problem for two days. And if I look at the people who've bought the most shoes from Tanya Heath Paris, all 10 of them started as customer service problems. And our customer services just walked them through their problems, delighted them, and was able to, to foster a, an enormous sense of loyalty. Wow,
0: that's, a, that's amazing that you've got that proof of it, because there's a lot of businesses who, you know, we all talk about the fact that a customer service issue is an opportunity, but I think you're the first person I've ever heard to say, we've looked at it, and our top 10 best customers are people who we turned an issue into a, into a good experience.
1: Well, it's because once again, we're a relatively new company. We know exactly who all of our customers are. In fact, we don't like to greet clients by name in the store because that's practically spooky. But the customer (laughs) services team, even know, they're even capable of remembering what shoe a person has.
0: And that's such a a great thing to be able to give someone um, in in the customer service sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So problems don't last long at Tanya Heath Paris. And we normally find a way of delighting people. And we absolutely don't stick to, you know, our terms and conditions. I, I find that is something that pisses off a lot of people with e-commerce sites.
0: Yeah, sometimes you have to, to bend a bit, don't you?
1: Yeah, well, we're interested in making people happy. You know, I didn't quit my day job just to disappoint a lot of people and not live up to their expectations and cynically take their money.
0: That's, that, yeah, it would be a bit miserable if you were doing that. I, I wouldn't be a happy person.
1: <laughs> and, you know, against everything I learned from the story of philosophy.
0: Yeah, and, and happiness at the end of the day is probably the number one, no, not probably, Chloe, is the number one thing to be looking for. I agree. Uh, The tool top tip then, before we disappear off into realms of philosophy, uh, which it seems like both of us could quite easily do, the tool top tip. Maybe a collaboration tool, a social media plugin, a phone app, or just a way of working. Is there a cool little tool you use that makes you and your team more efficient day to day?
1: So no, (laughs) I saw that question coming in. My team, we all work around one big table. So we talk. Um... And we have a lot of software and a lot of collaborative tools. And I don't think any of them are cool. So I'm not going to cite them because I don't want to offend anybody who might be
0: responsible for those tools.
1: <laughs> but I think all of them could, could be improved.
0: So it's, it's, the, it's the table.
1: It's the table for us. Um, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, the coolest thing we have is hand-free telephones.
0: <laughs> oh, um, yes. Yeah, that, that is always a good thing. Yeah, um,
1: but no, I wouldn't say uh, I wouldn't say at this moment that applications are living up to my expectations.
0: Fair enough. So the startup top th- tip, Dad. If you met someone this weekend who's thinking of starting an e-commerce business, what would be your first tip for them?
1: Yeah, um, this and here I'm speaking really from the heart from errors that we made. Assume right away that your business is global. So we did not, and I'm still paying the price for it quite literally. Today. So that means, you know, make sure that people understand you can deliver internationally. Make sure that people understand uh, the product price quotes in their currency. Um, have your homepage in English. My homepage is in France. So if you land at Tanya Heath Paris, you land on a French page, even though we do have an English page. This is off putting to 90% of the people who would be visiting. Tanya, Heath Paris. So we lose, I'd say we lose 70% of people because they don't see that they can go into the English language site. So these were all massive mistakes. Don't underestimate the, the tablet and the smartphone revolution. I absolutely believed that because our offer is complex, that people would still be taking their time And they'd still be in front of their PCs and they'd be looking at the attributes of the product. In actual fact, I have real stats on this. 37% of my purchases are made on a phone. So make make sure your site is is mobile friendly. Um, So, yeah, really, make sure it's international. Make sure you're using some
0: recognizable world language so
1: that are not <laughs> losing, losing traffic. And certainly, uh, mobile is here.
0: Excellent pieces of advice. And thank you for the stats on that as well. Mm-hmm. So Plan World, you can find those top tips and links to everything else we've been chatting about in today's episode by going to ecommercemasterplan.com 44. That's 4-4. Four, four. Um, one final top tips question for you, Tanya. If your business didn't exist, which e-commerce business would you like to be running?
1: So it wouldn't be an e-commerce business per se, but I'd be very interested in start. And I I believe they exist. I don't have the time to delve into it, but I'd be very interested in putting 3D uh, data prints or plans on an e-commerce site so that people could start telecharging or downloading uh, cool ways of
0: printing stuff at home. Oh, that's going to be, it's going to be such an interesting space as that one evolves.
1: That's a space that fascinates me. And that's something that I would like to incorporate in Tanya Heath Paris. I can see in the next three years, as the printers become more commonplace, people printing their own heels at home. And that excites me. So I I think we'll be able to incorporate that within the Tanya Heath Paris brand. Um, But certainly if I wasn't doing Tanya Heath Paris at the moment, I think I'd be quite into
0: 3D printing. Cool. Um, Tanya, before we say goodbye, would you like to remind listeners where they can find you and your business on the web and social media?
1: Okay. So we have a Facebook page at uh, Tanya Heath Paris. So that's for Facebook. We have an Instagram account, also Tanya Heath Paris. And our website is com.
0: Excellent. And people will be able to find their local sites via tanyaheath.com? Yes. Excellent. Well, um, I'll add links to all of that and everything else we've talked about today in the show notes. Masterplan World, you can find those at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 44 or just go to the website, click on the podcast tab or use the search box. Tanya, thank you for being on the ecommerce masterplan podcast today and for being so generous sharing your stories with us.
1: Thanks very much, Chloe, for having me.
0: What a fascinating insight into the more luxury end of e-commerce with a with a very complex site as well. Lots of great tips and advice there from Tanya. And I'm definitely going to be doing my best to dive into the story of philosophy, but it does sound like quite a heavy read. Um, before I go, I just want to remind you to, t- to take a moment to go over to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash the customer and find out why we've declared 2016 the year of the customer. You'll also find all the content we've been putting out to help you there. And make sure you come back next week to hear how A-game sports... Totally different type of, uh, of, of business that one is, are using e commerce to look after their corporate and individual customers and keep everybody happy. Have a great week, everyone, and keep optimizing. Thank you for listening to the e commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com.